Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to another T2 Hubcast. Uh, It's Martin Johnson, CEO of Trans2. I'm really excited today because I've got a special guest in. Uh, as you know, we do various uh, hubcasts where we talk about certain topics in leadership and management, um, and we often interview people from the business world. Well, today we've got a guest in from a completely different environment, from professional sport. It's Lee Radford, who is the head coach of Hull FC, uh, Hull FC rugby league team um, up in Hull. And if, if you're if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with rugby league because uh, you're you're in the south or you're anywhere else, uh, it's a big deal up here. And um, Lee has been the head coach of Hull FC for Lee, how many? Five years. Five years. Um, and most notorious for back-to-back Challenge Cup wins in 2016 and 2017, which included a famous win at Wembley, finally, in first time in Hull FC's history. Um, so basically, really lucky to have him, because one of the most, Lee's one of the most successful coaches in Hull FC history, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, he's in his well, what, sixth year, is this, would this be the sixth year? It's currently fifth. So this will be the fifth year. So um, what I wanted to do is, is I've done some work with Hull FC myself from a performance psychology perspective and I've had the pleasure of working with Lee and the team from a coaching perspective and with the players. It's been a real eye-opener for me. It's given me an insight into uh, you know high-performing teams in sport. Um, it's been challenging at times. Um, but there is a difference between the way um, we lead cultures and teams and we manage in sport to the way it, it works in businesses. So what I wanted to do is I want to interview Leo. We were going to debate some stuff. Uh, and I want us to think, for any managers and leaders listening to this, I want you to think about some of the things we're talking around and think about your own teams and how you apply this in the workplace and see if you can take something from it. So welcome, Lee. Thanks for uh, giving up your time. Um, <clears throat> I guess let's do this chronologically, right? Leadership in sport. Let me ask you the first question. I'll bring you in on the first thing. Leadership in sport, what is it like for your sins? <laughs> yeah. Um, from, a, from a coaching perspective, I'd say it's difficult. Yeah. I would say it's very difficult um, managing the environment and managing um, some of the challenges that you face, external challenges. Um, from a playing perspective, as, as a player and, and leading you know, in, in a captain's capacity, um, a lot easier. I, yeah. think, I, I think it's a lot easier when... Um, you're actually going into battle mm. with someone, and and you can lead from the front, and and it has more kudos that you know they're following what you're doing. Um, and you, do you know what you raise a really good point, almost straight off. Two types of leadership, and we resonate with this in businesses. When you're the coach or the manager, it's a completely different. What you're saying is it's a completely different uh, scenario to when you're a leadership a, a leader within a group. So you're almost still at peer level. We call them on the ground influencers in the workplace. So when you played, you elevated into a sort of a leadership position, but you were still a part of the group. So leading by example and being able to be out there with them, for you, was probably easier than elevating to a, a coach's level. Is that what you're saying? Definitely, yeah. I think you're questioning yourself a lot more in the coaching capacity than, than you are as, a, as an actual player. I think, you know, the fact that you, are, you can have instant... Um, impact on, 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 on a game as well is is a powerful thing as well. So certainly from a playing you know from from a from a playing professional career it was easier to lead in, in that manner than it has been to coaching. Definitely. Yeah. 
Um, and do you think, so one of the questions we get quite a lot is, when a person has been a member of a team for a while and they're one of the, the lads or one of the lassies or whatever it might be, they're just a, just a peer, they're part of the team, and then they get promoted from within to the, to the coach's job. So they're now either coaching or managing the players they used to be a part of. That is more difficult than arguably being drafted in from external, not knowing the players and then be assuming the position of coach. Um, would you agree, or do you, would you say? I've, ne- you... I've never done that. I've never done the latter. Yeah. But I have done the first. You know, the first, yeah. I, I became assistant and then obviously became head coach. But I, you know, I genuinely think that was one of my pluses was the fact that you know I had good relationships with a lot of the squad that 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 was there that I inherited. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of trust there, and and you know they knew how to take me. I knew what there was as well. You know, having played with a lot of them, so um, you know that was a that was a quite an easy. You know, everybody says that's a difficult transition. I don't think that was. Yeah, because it. you leveraged the relationships. Yeah. Um, just a question on that. What we advise for people and managers who do elevate from the team is, we see we see a couple of scenarios. Some people get into the job. And they've got good relationships with the people, but they 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 take a drastic action into in a, in a direction. So they either become right. This is my gig now. I'm going to lay the law down and make radical changes, or they go. I still want to be everybody's mate, so I'm going to overcompensate on the relationships. Whereas I find what the best transition leaders do transition is they find the middle ground. So they go. I'm going to make it my own, but I'm not going to be too drastic early on. I'm going to see how the land lies, but I'm also going to understand that I'm not everybody's friend as well so I'm going to try and maintain the relationship but I'm not going to be too drastic too early was that your path or did you find yourself I was in a bit of a different scenario yeah I think I think when I you know when I initially got the job I think there was need for change right you know there was a lot of disgruntled players within the group um you know there was a little bit of lack of direction at the time as well so I think I think it did need radical change you know it did need some um some markers putting down you know, when you look back now, five years later, you know it was pretty drastic. Some yeah. Of some of the stuff. But I remember that time, and it sort of did feel fresh and new, and it was the beginnings of something for the first time in a long time. So it was situational that you had to maybe. Yeah. Go in, go yeah. in, you know. Take and I that. don't, you know, was it deliberate? Possibly not. You know, I just felt it needed it at yeah. the time, and and obviously, you know, as as you as you get your own team and you get your own group and you get a little bit more comfortable with them, maybe you do take your foot off the. Mm. Off the throat a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it certainly needed it. You know, the, there was some things going on from a um, club perspective that just needed changes, and I think I think the players was refreshed that it changed as well. Yeah, you know, and it went yeah. in, 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 a, in the club's favour. Yeah, absolutely. So, question to you, um, leadership. What what is your style like? What do you have a style? <laughs> <laughs> can I mean, obviously, everybody's situation and we can change. Yeah, what, okay. What's your default I, style? My, very direct, I think. Yeah. I think, and and you know, there's a, there's a reason for that. You know, I I appreciated that as a, as a player. That's how I wanted to. Yeah. Um. That's how I wanted to be led. You know, I, I wanted to know where I was and what I needed to do to get better. Mm. Um. When I'd not done it, I wanted to be told, and when I'd done it, you know, I wanted a little bit of applause for that as well. So I think I think that is the easiest way of describing. So because uh, you're. You know, I've done work with you, and we've done a lot on unconscious motivators and personal motivators. And your drivers are very much um, 
you know, to be strong and self-reliant and to, to get stuff done and there is a right way to do things and, you know, even the hierarchical structure you you like, you know, there's a position in the in, in the group and you, you have the respect of people and you carry out your duties to the best of your ability. And therefore, because that you that, that's how you operate for years and you grew up under an era of Bradford, right, with people like Jimmy Lowe's and Joe Vangana and Bernard Dwyer and we've talked about it many a times, you know, you, you had to toe the line. They were very directive, very authentic authoritative figures wasn't they and look at the success you had in in that very sort of powerful senior group so I guess you've sort of then adopted that in your leadership style as your default position because it's it's what you've known because would that be fair to say it's what it's, it's how you've grown up it's definitely yeah I think that generation <clears throat> of players there that you've you know I don't think it was any coincidence we had the success we did um with that group of players we had you know the how they, don't get me wrong, very, very talented as well, um, but well coached and um, very driven people and, and, and you know, authoritative. A lot of you know, but you had the back, it's, it's surprising there weren't so many clashes, you know, yeah. because there was a lot of senior blokes there who had, you know, very opinionated. This is how we do it. Thankfully, that you know, for, for the Bulls, it was, it was all on the same page, yeah. You know, and I think that's a powerful thing. And you, when, You've got so many strong personalities like that all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, same direction, which is key. And you always, and you did have some contrast, and this is important in sport in a squad, isn't it? Because you did have some contrast with, for example, you always talk about Henry Paul being a really key presence in a, in a squad, and that if, if Henry Paul was on the team sheet, you almost knew it was going to be a W. You always knew it was always going to be a win because his presence lifted everybody else. But he wasn't a barking aggressive character he what, so how, what, how would you explain that what, what did he bring talent first yeah of course yeah. you know talent, talent and drive was the two was the two things that stand out for him as a, you know as a, as a professional sportsman he's unbelievably talented you know but knew it yeah you know he had the swag yeah, yeah he, he, and because she sat next to him in the changing room you felt a little bit like I said you, you know you knew he was going into a, a, a game a final a semi-final you felt a little bit better better about yourself lining up next to him but he but what was he wasn't a social he wasn't a social you know a professional the ultimate professional he was far from it you know Mm. he he enjoyed yeah he enjoyed his leisure time very much so (laughs) you know i think he brought a a a rap record out at one time you know (laughs) he went in that direction he was a complex character but he he enjoyed you know the nightlife what was his leadership style? Like? He wasn't aggressive, but did he just lead by example? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I, I think if he, you know, if he had, if he felt like he had something to say, he'd say it. But nine times out of ten, he'd just do things on the field, and mm. you know, you almost wow, that was yeah, that was amazing. But but he, what he was was you know as, as hard as he parted, you know, he'd rocking for you know he would stay over on a, on a Saturday night from he'd rocking at four in the morning at ten o'clock, come conditioning, he'd be at the front of the you know he'd, be he'd still be able to do still, it you know and it, it was. Always amazed, you know. We had a we had a cluster of players that could do that, and it, yeah. you know, always amazed me how they could live that lifestyle and still turn up and, yeah. and give that. Um, and do you know what probably works there? Now, and um, we'll link this into the Hull FC's teams of the past and and then maybe to the present day. But so so in that team then in Bradford, you had Brian Noble, who was a very sort of motivational, knowledgeable coach. had the, had the squad behind him. You had the blend of. Of authoritative figures like Bernard Dwyer and Joe Vangana and Jimmy Lowe's and some of the other really big characters, you had the talent like Robbie and Henry Paul, uh, who didn't have to be aggressive but but led 
by example, in good comments. So that the whole was greater than the sum of its parts is what is what you're sort of saying. You need in leadership in teams, you need the authoritative figures, you need the sort of slightly maverick, talented players, and you need a great cut. And when it all comes together, that's what makes for success. Definitely, yeah. I think you know, looking back at that group as well, unbelievable amount of players that have gone on to be coaches from that. From yeah. That. To have so much leadership in a in a team. Um, and not have a lot of conflict between each other, yeah. you know. I think that um, looking back, that was that was pretty incredible yeah. as well. You know, that everybody had an opinion, and everybody's very opinionated. But for whatever reason, everybody's opinion was very similar in that in yeah. that group. Yeah. And then I look at whole FC teams, uh, sort of when you were playing as well. Um, when. You look back at when we had strong leadership or, or times when we've had strong leadership within a group. You look at, for example, people like Richard Swain or Stephen Kearney. Now, different type of leaders. Kearney sort of commanded men and he had that presence and that communication, that respect and that credibility. Don't get me wrong, he was great on the field as well, but he, he, he had that. Swainy wasn't so much, I don't know, you know more than me, but Swainy, Richard Swain wasn't so much uh, uh, an aggressive commanding player, but he, he had the credence from that. A little bit like Danny Outen in the modern era. He leads by example on the field. He's not going to ask of anything of anybody else what he's not willing to do, if that would make sense. And I think not just on the field, I think on the training field as well. Yeah, you from know, professionals. How, yeah. how he was as a professional, he was the ultimate pro. He was, he was in, you know, at the front of everything he did from a physical perspective. He... How we approach games, he was he was hundred and ten percent Mr. Mm. Rugby League, you know, his preparation was um really articulate leading into every game and then and then he went and delivered, you know, and that and that that demands respect. You know, yeah. you, you cannot play next to a bloke like that and not admire what he does. Yeah. So So would you say then summarising this first point, um leadership in sport splits into two. It's the leadership at coaching and staff level. But it's also the leadership within the playing group. And if you've got a combination of both, surrounded by the right talent as well, that's where the magic happens. And if any one of those are slightly out of kilter, if you're lacking a level of leadership at a coaching level or you're lacking a level of leadership within the group, it, it can be a challenge. I think that's what you're saying. I 100% agree with that. And I think when you get all three together, I think it's a lethal. Yeah, talent plus coach. leadership on the field plus leadership in the, yeah, exactly. in the coaching. You know, the, right, the right people at ground level. Great leadership up top, but then you know mm. more so in sport than probably in business. Yeah, and talent is obviously also important as well. Yeah, which brings me to my second point of I was going to ask you on success in sport. How much is it down to talent versus mindset? Now the reason I ask that is because I've done a lot of mental skills coaching with you. We've we've done a lot of innovative players uh, things with the players, with the coaching staff. Some have been successful, others have been a challenge, right? But. Um, it is unlike any other environment I've ever operated in because when we go into businesses or into other environments, culturally, the cultural element and the and the mindset and the mental side of performance is huge, right? Don't get me wrong, the best sportsmen and women and teams in out there, you could name them, your Tiger Woods, your Novak Djokovic, you know, you know, your Wigan Warriors of the 90s, your Man United under Ferguson, they're mentally strong, right? So there is but what I observed in a sport environment with you, Lee, is that talent you, you can try and be as mentally strong as you want, but you cannot... In, in business, we say, hire the right people and skill them, even if they've not got the skills, whereas you, you can't get away with that. So how much... Is it a balancing act? How much do you have to uh, sacrifice character, some behavioural traits-wise, to get the right player and the right talent? 
or do you place a higher onus on actually having a squad of the right people and even if you've not got three superstars in or I don't know what's the point I, I think it's a real fine line I think it's I think it's becoming more you know the, the, the participation in the sport now is becoming less every year um, and I think the talent pool is getting smaller yeah I think more and more we're now relying on talent yeah. know, more than more than the other yeah because you what you're saying is you haven't you aren't blessed with uh, waves of talent coming through so if somebody isn't showing the right behaviors now don't get me wrong right you've made some key decisions in the past around this anyway because and in the brave decisions right and they've been proven right but you're not you're not able to do that as much anymore because you've got a thin squad there's not a wave of talent coming through so you might have three or four very talented players but professional wise you want improvements or behavioral or traits but You've, you've got to sort of say, what what am I willing to try and manage and put up with to keep the balance of great culture, great squad, but we've got to be competitive and we've got to we've got to win. We've got to, you know. Yeah, and I think I think you know persevering with with you know more talented players will, will create life a little bit more challenging for you is, is becoming is becoming more and more you know because of that because of the, the talent pool getting smaller. But I just I just think making sure. Um, that that player or that individual doesn't upset the group is is a you know is the the minute that starts happening or he starts towing the line where it becomes you know his work um, becomes difficult to manage and 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 once you start hearing whispers and rumblings around the group uh, that then becomes even more challenging for you yeah. to manage because then your decision is I can't afford to lose this player off the pitch but. I can't afford to, I lose, can't afford to lose the group. To the group. I can't, yeah, yeah. and and that's where sometimes you've got to you've got to experience the short term pain for the long term gain. And uh, I I certainly think that over you know over the time and the reason not many rugby league coaches have a five year tenure, right? <laughs> they don't. So I'm the longest serving. I you think. are, yeah, you are. So, so yeah. I think you've got that balance right now. I'll just mention at one point one thing again, and you'll probably smile at me because we don't talk like this often. But the one thing I really admire in you, which is you are directive and you are, you are tough, right? And at times you do command uh, the compliance from people around you. But you're also, and I'm not, I'm not sure a lot of people see this, you will also defend players and support and back players where it's due. Fearless, fearless, how would you say it? Fearless, whatever you mean, fearlessly. <laughs> you will do that and... I sort of then observe that as long as you get that contrast right, I don't know if this is a conscious decision from you, but if you back and support people in their time of need, you earn the right to be directive at a later point. Would you say that that that's that's true? Um, Whereas if you were just directive and harsh all the time and there was no, yeah. it, 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 it might not work. If you were just constantly backing plays when they're wrong yeah. or when they're not performing, you wouldn't get it right. But if you've got the blend... Where where it's due, I'll back you. But listen, I I need this from you. I I need you know. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I, sometimes I'll read obviously reports of the team or comments about the team, you know, that are critical, and it get I can't tell you how much it, it gets me back up and upsets me. You know, it's it's almost like it's you're insulting my players, you're insulting my team here. But then I you know I feel I have the right to do to yeah. to um, to be critical after a result after a performance. Um, but I think you know we, you genuinely care about the, the group you know that is underneath you. I think that 
that is, has been a consistent throughout my coaching period. Um, sometimes it don't feel like that to yeah. the individual, I'm pretty sure, but it's a, a bit of that tough love. But, um, you know, I, I think I think the friendship side um, of success is, is something we've not touched on as well. You know, the, the togetherness of a group sometimes can be a really powerful thing. And I think every team or every little bit of success I've had as a player or as a coach, I think that, that's been pretty high on the agenda. Everybody has, has enjoyed the working environment, coming into training, everybody's got each other's backs and yeah. everybody's willing to go that extra um, that extra mile for one another. Last year, you know, finished in an unbelievably disappointing um, in terms of results and, and, and where we was. But through an unbelievably tricky situation, I still felt you know, we still had each other's backs, and I mm-hmm. think that you know that that was quite a good advert for the group. I think. Yeah, I, I talk about this on previous podcasts and in other things around in businesses creating a social ecosystem. So it's not just you turn up; it's transactional. You do your job, you get paid, you go home. Businesses thrive when people build meaningful friendships within a business. When you feel like you're going to work with, you know, one thing the military gets right is the brothers type feel. You feel like you, you you're alongside friends, almost brothers. Um, which means collaboratively you'll go above and beyond for each other. It's the same in sport. If everybody just turns up and goes, I'm collecting a wage bill, I'm playing the sport, I, I go home, and I don't I, I don't feel that camaraderie within the group, you're not going to be as successful as when you've got really close, we call it peak rapport, don't we? Yeah, talking? and I think that's unbelievably difficult to manufacture. Yeah, you, you can't know, you manufacture can't, it. You can't yeah. manufacture friendships between <laughs> two blocks that, that clearly don't get but what you But what you can do, Lee, I'm sure you'll agree, is you can create an environment that allows them to at least... Try and foster the, those relationships. Definitely, yeah, and I, and I think that's why you know where recruitment is so important. You know, yeah. you know, doing, making sure that the the individual that you bring in, you know, isn't going to be disruptive to the to the group, or you know, he's going to get along with the group or more. To a certain extent, it's a bit of a punt still because you don't know him personally. Yeah. But you know, in terms of recruitment, I have a close, you know group that I will lean on to, you know, whether it be on these shows or... or For a character or, assessment. Yeah, or yeah. across the other side of the world and in we've, Australia. Uh, I mean, and without giving too much away, we've done um, innovative things that you're... Because I, I like the fact that you're always open to trying innovative ways. We've done a little bit of psychometric testing where we try and uncover uh, the unconscious motivators and drivers of a player and and try and correlate that to performance. I think what we've what we've experienced from it is... There's no exact science to it because there's some players who can perform, but they have certain motivators. What we do find is there are certain motivators that are aligned to leadership, which gives you an idea of if we're bringing a potential leader of men in rather than just a player. Um, so you're trying that sort of stuff, but I think you do in your recruitment try really hard, don't you, on the character to do the character assessment piece as much as this this bloke's a talented player. Yeah, and see how see how cliche you know is he good bloke. Yeah, you know that gets the, the amount of times that phrase gets used. It's it, you you want a good individual coming through. You want you want him to tick all them boxes. But obviously, uh, again, if the talent is not there, then um, it doesn't matter how much yeah. of a good bloke he's not going to bring success to you. Does I've it? done some work with Sean Fitzpatrick, or the the New Zealand All Black former cap, you know, World Cup winning captain. We've spoken at the same events, and I, I listened to his talk, and you've probably heard it yourself, Lee. He, see, they have a they have a policy in the All Blacks, and it's a, it's an illegitimate policy, and it's called the No Dickhead Policy, right? And he says this very candidly on stage, and he challenges business leaders, and he challenges any leader in any environment to to foster this. But he says in the All Blacks, I know they're blessed with talent, right? So they can do this, but 
they have a no dickhead policy, which means if you come in, it doesn't matter how good you are, if you're a dickhead, or to to to, to you know to translate that to, to people, uh, if you're not the right type of person who's going to bring the right attitude and behaviours and discipline to our environment, you're not getting in. It's it's like you've said in rugby league, the talent pool is shrinking. It's not as easy for you to do that, but you're trying. I, I yeah. honestly think even in the sport, it's changing a little bit. You know, you when McCaw retired, yeah. There were some incidents there with the All Blacks, you know, five or six off-field incidents where that wouldn't have happened under his watch. You know, it wouldn't have happened five years prior because they'd have got nowhere near wearing an All Black jersey. But I think. So do you think the no dickhead policy is waning a little I, bit? I do. Yeah, <laughs> I, do you know, I, I, I genuinely think it's a it's a talent issue. I, yeah. I think people are making exceptions for because of that, and I think I think you have to. It's the nature of the beast. You know, if the talent pool isn't there. Yeah. Um, you have to bring a Paul Pogba in. You know, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that's that's what you know. The the owl, you know, the old um, leader, great professional, fantastic player. You know, everything you want. The, this is becoming so less and less. You have to, you know, you have to bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, and you know what? Look at two of your decisions over previous years. Albert Kelly, Jay Connor, fantastic players, wonderful talent. Um, and purely seeing in them what they bring on the field, like the Henry Paul factor, has significantly contributed to LFC's success. Um, and that's what you're saying, the contrast between the right talent, but with a, with the, a general right group of behaviours and traits and characteristics, it's got to all go in the pot. Yeah. Because you could have the best group of blokes, right? I'm not saying no one's a good bloke, but you, you could have the best ultimate professionals... You know, old school style of leadership and communication in the fit. But if they can't play, you're not going to win a game. Hundred percent. But I think the environment they've come into as well has helped them. Yeah. We had it. We've had a good environment. Um, you know, starting from day one of my recruitment. Again, you know, you still thought the no dickheads. I had another word for it. Um, but <laughs> you know, it was um, for a different. It was on the same philosophy. Yeah, it was. You know, making sure. Whoever walks through the door is not, you know, is, is going to be worth worth your while and everything you're putting into him from a, from a club perspective. So, um, they, they've come into a good group. Yeah. And thankfully, touch wood, you know, they've been a pleasure to work with today. Yeah. So last last part, culture uh, as a whole. I mean, I I brought something into you. Or I presented something to you a few years back, Lee, which was the elite sports equation. And the elite sports equation for anybody listening is. Five, five factors of high-performing teams in sport. It's you have the right talent, which we've discussed, number one, in the right environment, number two, um, and then if you get if you wrap these other three things around it, they've got to be technically good on what, at what they do. They've got to be mentally strong and physically strong, in, certainly in your sport. So in rugby league, the elite sports equation is talent, environment, technical, mental, physical. Um, which do you think is the most important? Are we coming back I think to the same? I think it's for. I don't like it, but I think it's leaning towards talent. Yeah, you know, I do. I you do. can get away with some of the others not being perfect you if you've got the, the right others. talent. Yeah, I do. I just you know, and, and that's changed over the last two or three years. Um, you know, Gareth Ellis, our assistant coach, an unbelievable player for for Great Britain over the years and incredible career, has just literally come back from from Melbourne Storm. And their football manager, you know, was one of the most successful in the business, Frank Panisi. He spent two weeks following Frank out there and, and 
you know, Gaz came back and, and said they're doing nothing different. You know, there's no secret to the success. Yeah. They're just very, very, very fortunate. And Frank will, will tell you this. Um, they're three best players, and what I call generation players, three of the best players to play the game, you know, in Cooper Cronk and Cameron Smith and Billy Slater, just happen to be the most professional, yeah. uh, the most driven, um, and most talented rugby league players in their group. So, so to have them as your leadership group, and when they recruit a player from nowhere, you know, and he sees what they're doing every day and the amount of hours of work they're putting in and how hard they're actually working and how they won't allow any uh, misdemeanors off the field to, um, to, to hamper their success, that, that's an incredible formula. Um, yeah. And that's what every coach Dreams in, of. Every, <laughs> in every sport is, is dreaming of. But the reason we're talking about them and the reason they're so famous is because of you know the rarity of them as yeah. well. And the reason they sort of the first thing that came to your point that commanded that allowed them to command that respect was the talent. The first thing was that listen, these are unbelievable players. I want to follow and replicate them. And then the, the, they're just lucky that they were great managers people. of people as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, great blokes, great professionals, great people. So, so in but what we're saying though, uh, Lee is. Talent is important and you can get by on it, but if you can get talent with the right environment and your squad and players are technically, mentally and physically prepared, then that's where you want to be. So here's a, a scenario. Um, you, you want a good culture. You want to try and promote a good culture. You, you, want, you want people working for one another. You want them turning up with smiles on their faces. You want them going the extra mile You know, in terms of performance. But if the talent in there and you do not get the results in this industry, them good people quickly, quickly, the, the, the atmosphere changes, yeah. how they rock up on a Monday changes, my opinion of you changes, yeah. your opinion of me changes, and friction, it can quickly friction become occurs, negative. Yeah, so, yeah. so if any one of them, you know, uh, uh, not where they need to be, you know, that can also be a formula for failure as well. You know, if the talent's not there, yeah, don't matter how good of a group you've got and how yeah. close you are and tight knit, fingers soon soon get pointed when results don't go your way. Business, I would imagine it's the same. In certainly in a sporting uh, environment, it's the same. Um, so what you're saying is, you can have a great environment with great coaches. You can you can prepare unbelievable your, culture. You can you can have a great culture. Prepare your players physically, mentally, and technically. But if they don't have the raw talent, right? Yeah. You're always you're going to be and and like you say, it's a results driven business. Is sport so um, when the it's like sales in business when the results aren't there, people's be, people's behaviours change. 100%. Um, and for anybody listening. I think it's very quick sometimes to judge from the outside around players being recruited or selection or whatever it might be. But you you have to understand that you're only ever four or five results away from not only being under pressure um, in the competition, but being under pre- being at risk of losing the group. So it is a real leadership in sport for me is hard because in businesses you've got you've got a lot of people, you've got time to upskill. Um, and the you know it's it's completely different. Whereas in sport, you've got a smaller pool of talent, and you've got a balance. It's a results driven business. You've got to get results, and um, and you can't just do that based purely on culture. Is what you're saying? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And and as much as I'd like it to be yeah. that way, you know, unfortunately, it's uh, it just isn't the case. You know, talent goes a, an awful long way, and and like I said, I think it's becoming more and more important. Because of the you know the lack of numbers playing the sport, 
Yeah. Cool. Um, you know what, Lee? That's a fascinating insight. Um, there's no, no no further questions from me, so I think we'll just sort of wrapping it up. And I think if we just sort of encapsulate everything we've discussed, um, which has been fascinating, leadership for you is twofold. It's leadership at a, a management and coaching level, and it's leadership within a group on the ground leadership. You need the two uh, to in an environment to, to perform. If one is out of kilter or, or lacking, it can be a challenge. Um Success in sport, the elite sports equation, it's around talent, environment, uh, you, then your players have to be technically, mentally and physically um, strong, but you would always say that without talent you have nothing or you have very little, so talent is the most important in a sporting environment, you know, you need to be able to have the blend of the naturally gifted, at times maverick <laughs> players with the, the, the professionals and the hard workers and, 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 and that balancing the squad really works. Um, and culture is important in an ideal world. You think environments, you absolutely should be trying to foster a culture and a way of working. And you look at the All Blacks culture and you look right, at Leeds Rhinos culture and, you know, the Man United in the in the 90s culture. You, 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 it is really important, but it's a very results-driven, you know, business. So you're only ever four or five results away from potentially being under pressure, but also changing the dynamic in the group altogether. Um so yeah, I don't envy you. <laughs> I don't envy. Right, so yeah, that, yeah, I don't envy. You. No, right, it's... last question for this because we've got just a couple of minutes. Generations. Right? <laughs> um, I talk about this in business all the time. We are seeing. So for people out there, I just want to, I just want to put to bed a, a myth that people get wrong around generations. Everybody talks about millennials, and millennials get a lot of stick around millennials are these days. Like, listen, millennials are people born after nineteen eighty. Right, I am a millennial. People up to thirty six years old are millennials. They're already in businesses and in organisations. Anyone outside that... like to tell people I'm a millennial? Lee's just on the <laughs> other side of a millennial. He's, he's on the cusp of millennial. But anyway, the point is, is these some older millennial of the of the generation of millennials are in places and in positions of command, authority, leadership. Yet the young, younger end of the millennials are young. But there's Generation Z. There's Generation Z, and Generation Z are the, are the next generation, if you like, the, the teens and the late teens. Either way, what we're saying is the lower end of the millennials and the Generation Z, um, in the workplace, we're seeing a shift. It's a different generation, of course. Um, I think all the generations struggle sometimes to get in their world and to, to collaborate with them. My view firmly has always been we've got to change. We've got to adapt. We, you know, we've got to evolve. There are people entering your squad, the workplace, who have grown up entirely in the digital world and technology. There are people, and if you add to this as well, the young players coming through, Lee, we talk about this all the time, have never been in a, in a real, not a real job, because that's not fair to say, <laughs> but they've never been, they get, they get recruited. Yeah, they, they get recruited very early, almost in school and signed up on a scholarship, and all you've ever known is professional sport and rugby. So um, are you seeing a, a shift in from a generational perspective and the type of player coming through and are you there do you believe therefore clubs and coaching staff have to adjust and evolve if they want to get the best out of players um, or do you think we need to be standing firm and trying to bring them into our way of working or is it a so I just I'll talk to you and give you an example of adaptation from my own perspective <laughs> um, so when I first you know two years into into Marine at Hull um Social media wasn't a part of what you know what I did in, in my youth. Obviously, it wasn't there. It was there towards the back end of my playing career, but didn't 
yeah. take a fancy to it. I, I didn't want people knowing what I was having for tea. I wasn't taking a snap <laughs> of it and putting it on, 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 on Twitter and, you know, I can't wait to eat this. That, that didn't entertain me one bit. And what I was eating for tea, I wanted to keep proud. <laughs> um, so I could never grasp, I could never get my head around around some of some of the you know some of the posts that are out there and some of the um so I could never get my head around taking your shirt off <laughs> and taking a photo, a selfie photo and putting it on, social, put it on media. social media. I just couldn't grasp it. You know, there's some fantastic figures in, my, in our team, you know, it's amazing. And I never had that, you know, I wouldn't have done that anyway. Yeah. I didn't I didn't have the room to do that. But um it um I just it just threw me out, you know, yeah. and what obviously everybody knew how, how how frustrated I was getting, and it was all sending me snap, you know, screenshots of, of some of the lads, uh, some of the younger lads, obviously taking photos in the mirror and in the in the bedroom with the shirts off. So, and you've got and to to our point, you've gone in the space of fifteen years. I've gone from sat in the change room with Bernard Dwyer, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and and, pro, and and sort of old school blokes, yeah, yeah. and drinking a pint down the pub to to yeah, this, to you this. Know? yeah, you know, <laughs> and it's been an eye opener. So. I introduced a financial fan for it. You know, I said, um, "So I you said, actually find players?" I did, yeah, I said, "Look, this is not the image I want to give out. You know, this is not what we are. This is, you know, I want to be hard working. I want to be humble. I want to be, I want to be, go about my business. Yeah. I, I don't want to sing from the rooftops. Whether you don't want to bring attention to ourselves exactly unnecessarily. That. I don't yeah. want. I don't want anybody hating us. Giving anybody reason to hate us. You know, when when you don't need to. So, so, so just to confirm, it's it's not just a story. You you actually brought in a process where you would find players for taking a selfie yeah. without the top on. Yeah. So originally, <laughs> originally it was a twenty five pound fine, which you know isn't yeah. a massive amount, but for some young kids that are on, and it tended to be the young kids that was doing yeah. it. So for them lads that obviously financially what you know wasn't um, where they needed to be, it was a lot. So but they continued. One player in particular continued so. I doubled it <laughs> after a month of it not working. You know, I took 75 quid off him and um, I doubled it. I put it up to 50. It happened again. There's another one goes out there. So I text 50. So I Ed had fell off one day. I, I got the group together in the team meeting room and I said, right. I said, the next one that I see do this, I'm going to bring you out in front of the group and I'm going to give you a skinhead. I'm going to shave your hair, blade back in front of everyone. Um, to put a stop to Can this. Can you imagine? So man. that's my adaptation. <laughs> I promise you, it stopped from that day onwards. It's it never happened since. So, if any managers in businesses are listening out there, great piece of advice from Lee Radford. If you're not commanding compliance from team members, threaten to shave their head in front of the peers. You'd be amazed with the amount of success you have from that simple action. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I guess funny story but I guess the, the, the point you're making there is it is different it's a they're different they're more world. worried about their image than they are the pocket yeah um, that you know that quickly became apparent and, and you know it's a joke and would I have done it probably um, <laughs> but it's it said a lot to me about the the next generation of, so of how do you players. deal with that then do you do you agree with me that I think the best the best chance we've got is to understand them and, and adapt ourselves or do you think there's a middle ground where you say listen I'm willing to adapt a little bit I'm willing to I get it I understand but but here's my non-negotiables yeah, is I, that I, your standpoint yeah I, I think you cannot you cannot change what you are you know, what you are is what you've ultimately what you've developed into I, I think for you to change overnight because they've changed overnight yeah you'd be lying to yourself so so it's unfair to think that in either camp there's going to be a drastic change so 
what you're saying is maybe that middle ground is what you've got to try and find. I think it's got to be a little bit more acceptance. You know, yeah. this is what they are. As hard as it is for you. It's very <laughs> difficult and, you know, I'll shunt it to myself a lot of the day. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, they also need to be, look, this is right and this is wrong. Yeah. And this is... Um, and that's that's new to a couple of the young blokes. You know, they're not they're not used to. They've never been told that's wrong. So that's alien to them as well. And you know, there's got to be some adaptation from them. But but ultimately, at the moment, if they want to play, you know, I'm the bloke who owns the you know owns yeah. the key to that door. So um, as there is still a you know element of power there that you can mm. that you can use. Final question before we wrap it up because we're just coming up forty minutes, forty five minutes, which I think is about right. Um, resilience now. You have always been quite a tough, resilient person as a player, as a character. Uh, you know, you've always said, you know, in your early career, not 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 the fastest, not the you know, the natural most natural, but tough and resilient and trained hard and and worked hard. And uh, your your the teams you played in were like that. I think what I have observed over recent years is even when you've struggled uh, at home with injuries last year. Even when I can, I think I can think of one game Wakefield last year where we got pumped by a huge number. It just all got on top of top of us, and, and but not under your reign. Not there's not been many of them days, right? So even when we've, I remember was it the Challenge Cup semi final last year? Was it quarters or semi one? Quarters. Quarters. We were Saints. Yeah. We, we were decimated. We were walking wounded, and we nearly pulled it off. There's a level of resilience within the group. That somehow you know you've manufactured or you've managed to, you've managed to get them to at least be competitive and commit in every single game. Now you know what we have games where it doesn't doesn't work. We, we mentioned like you know, yeah. but there is in general a, a grit and a resilience there. Um, do you do you try and coach and, and and foster that? Is that something you're communicating? How do you do that? I know some of your training methods around wrestling and and, and boxing and. You know, you you do put them in quite a, a a tough environment. Is that something you would say is fundamentally to fundamental to success? Is resilience and grit, regardless of the talent at times. Yeah, I think any team that that you know has had success has a certain amount of that. Definitely, um, preaching it, you know, is something we we do as often as we possibly can. Showing examples of it and and, and praising examples of it. Is something that um, is that is that we do as well, um, but also that the bloke you bring in, you know, you want to see if he's got a certain amount of resilience. What's he like under the blowtorch? Is that why in pre-season and in certain training methods that you use, you're testing for that as well? So, yeah. so part of this, like you know, let's pair people up and get them wrestling. Part of full contact, part of gloving up and and going in the ring for two minutes. You're trying to test. It's not about the result and it's not so much about who wins or it's about have you got the grit and the determination to, to dig in when it's needed yeah I, as an example you know it's, it's, it's a, you're due to spar you know your gloves are on your gum shields are on your, your scrum hat is on um, putting two blocks you know one is clearly going to get a result because of his size and yeah. his weight and you put him against another do you do that on purpose do you try and pair up yeah, evenly I, or think, do you, do you... I think what happens is the group watching Supports the little fella, yeah. Which motivates the little fella, which which helps the little fella and puts, you know, a little certain amount of steel in there for him to to try that little bit harder. I think I think that's a, an easy game because the group want him to win. They don't want to see the big fella pounding. And, and, and is your 
is your sort of theory behind that that you could put you could put two big fellas together and two small fellas together to 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 fight to box to wrestle right but it don't work like that on the pitch. Yeah. You're going to have a little fella on a big fella in the pitch, right, Different trying to take him down. So that you've got to put them into a into against the odd situation to build that grit and resilience and confidence. Is that sort of... Uh, and I think that promotes to get, you know, like I said, everybody wants the, the you know, the underdog to win. And um, although some of them have been, you know, physically dominated for, for two or three minutes, whatever <laughs> that may be, he's the one who gets the most pats on the back at, at, at the, the end. end and I think... Um, you know, that, that, that's, you know, that's a good thing to see amongst the group as well. Yeah, cool. Right, Rads, we've come to the end of it. Thank you so much for that, mate. I think it's insightful, it's it's impactful. Uh, for anyone who's a, a fan, a rugby league fan out there, I'm sure you'll find this fascinating, or a sports fan in general. If you listen to this and you're a leader or a manager in business, think about some of the things we've talked around leadership. I think one of the key things for me is Think about, you're a leader as a manager and you have a leadership team as managers, but who are your leaders on the ground? Who's within the group, in the peer group, who is is commanding the respect and driving the standards amongst the group, the, the on-the-ground influencers? I think that was a big one for me. Um, talent is important. You know, I do believe in business. You can hire the right people and skill them, so try and focus on characters, behaviours and traits. It doesn't, as we've discussed, work like that to the, to, to the letter of the law in, in, in sport. So where you can recruit talent, it makes your job easier. Um, and resilience, I think that last point there was really, really interesting. You know, uh, we used to have a saying in the mil- military, you train hard and fight easy. I think it's the same in sport and, um, you know, it, go- it goes a long way and think about how you can deploy that in your department. So thank you, Lee Radford. Thank you. Um, and we'll wrap that up there and we'll see you again um, for another T2 Hubcast. <laughs>